So, I'm sure I've talked about this before, but if I haven't, consider this the first time. If not, you know, consider it a bit of a follow-up, an update, whatever you want to call it. But it seems that when it comes to comic books, no matter who the publisher is, or even the writers, it seems that when they're based on an established franchise, that they're allowed a little bit of leeway, if not a lot of leeway. Whether it comes to, you know, how the characters are portrayed, the language that they use, the wording, if you will, or maybe even the violence. You know, the maturity, the, you know, the mature level, basically, of how the story and the comic and, and everything is presented, the presentation overall. It seems that when you read comics, they have a lot more leeway. Sometimes a little bit, and like I said, sometimes a lot. And when it comes to romance, that's no, that's no different. It really isn't. I mean, I just you know, did an audio reply to what uh, Splashdash, I think that's who it is, Splashdash said in their video where they asked, should Sonic have a girlfriend? And they touched upon how in the Archie Sonic books, it's a lot more different, you know, a lot more different dynamic when it comes to Sonic and Sally's relationship than it was in the cartoons. In the cartoon, it was more like, will they, won't they, you know, in the first season in the early part of the second season. And eventually we did find out that they would. But the difference between the two is in the comic book, the comic was allowed to be more exploratory, if you will. Basically they were able to go, you know, directions and paths that, you know, normally the cartoon wouldn't have gone had the cartoon, you know, not been, you know, just a couple of seasons. I mean, had the cartoon continued, maybe, maybe not. We don't know. But, yeah, the, com- the comic, the Archie comic, went in directions that normally the cartoon wouldn't. It delved deep, in way, way deep, into whether or not they would, you know, even be an item. Or whether or not someone else would steal the other away. And we saw that on both fronts, if you understand what I'm saying. And what I mean by both fronts, what I mean by both fronts is love triangles. We would see the love triangle with Sally and Jeffrey and and Sonic. But then on the other side, we would see it with Sally, Mina, and Sonic. Or even, to an extent, Sally, Amy, and Sonic, or Sally, Fiona, Sonic. And again, Sally and Jeffrey and Sonic on that side of the coin. And then later on, you add in the likes of, you know, Ken Khan, formerly Monkey Khan, you know, uh, to the fold. And then if you don't, and then if you want to look a little, you know, further or a little, you know, earlier than that, you add Antoine to the fold. I mean, heck, you could look at the cartoon and it was mostly somewhat very subtly Sonic, Antoine, and Sally and then occasionally you throw a character in there as I mentioned in the other video like a grift you know to kind of be that that wild card that obstacle you know that would stand in the other's way but the difference though like I said is with the comics they delve a lot deeper they went so deep that unfortunately it caused Ian Flynn to say you know what enough of the romance 
you know, with the soft reboot, retcon, whatever you want to call it, he decided basically the only romance he's going to have is Bunny and Antoine. He might hint at something being, you know, between Sally and Nicole. And if he wants to, he'll just maybe put something in there once or twice, maybe a few times to indicate something between Sonic and Sally, and that's it. That's it. That's all That's all he did. Because he was sick and tired of the romance, you know, just dragging it down and people just not choosing a side and sticking with it or just basically not making a big argument deal about it and just being like, or just be satisfied with the fact that, okay, Sonic's got a girlfriend and Sally, we'll leave it at that. You know, he just got sick and tired of it, you know, just dragging things down. But... But the thing is, even he would admit that had he tried to do this with a cartoon, like let's say if he tried to do this with Sonic Boom when he kind of wrote occasionally for it, he wouldn't have been allowed to dive as deep as the comic allowed him to. There's no way. And you know, and speaking of comics, you know, that brings me to another one that I kind of like and I try to catch up on. And that's the IDW My Little Pony Friendship is Magic comic. And apparently, it seems more, I guess you could say, willing to go in a direction that some fans are very mixed about, and that's Spike and Rarity. Even though, as I've mentioned recently, over time things have changed to the point that basically there are fans that used to be against Spike and Rarity that are more accepting of it now. Um, even when the comic was running, they still were kind of like, I'm not really sure, you know, about this. But then again, like I said, you have fans nowadays more accepting of it because I guess they look at Spike being his older self as a more reasonable um, answer to being with Rarity. But the comic, as far as I know, I didn't get to read all of the comic, you know, over its 100-issue run, believe it or not. You know, I didn't get to read all of the comic, I got to read a, uh, read a few here and there, including some of the spin-offs, like Friends Forever. But the thing is, the comics, from what I understand, delve just a bit deeper. You know, they, they went and did things that the cartoon wouldn't. Like when they did the Nightmare Rarity arc, you know, it was, as I pointed out before, it was Spike that was the final key to restoring Rarity. It was Spike that when he first tried to get through to Rarity, you know, basically t- tried to say that he loved her. And again, that you fast forward to an issue or so later, and he's the main final key that gets her back to normal. And then you have that little moment in the panel where she's holding him close, and you see a little heart above the both of them. And then you get to the holiday annual of a couple of years ago, and it's mainly a Sparity story. A Spike and Rarity story, that is. And from what I understand, from what I could tell, the comic, even in between all this and the 100 issues, had several moments and occasions, and maybe you could correct me on it, to where they would be more accepting of a Spike-Rarity relationship. You know, tease it, showcase it a little bit, you know, flirt with it, more so than the show. And that's because they had more free range. They did. They had more free range than they would in the actual show itself. Yeah, it wouldn't be until the final seasons under the you know direction of Nicole Dubuque that we'd finally get a little bit more 
uh, spike in rarity disparity spotlight than we had previously. But still, the fact of the matter is, the comic was more willing. It really was. The comic was more willing than I think anybody could imagine. It really was. In fact, if we go and look at Archie Comics again, Archie Comics, believe it or not, um, when they had the license to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Adventure Series, they, you know, they went the romance route with Raphael and the character Ninjara, aka Yumika, uh, aka uh, Yumiko, if you will. Uh, I think that's yeah, that was her name, Yumiko or Umiko, you know. But Ninjara, yeah, you know, they went, um, they went that distance, and they gated a long-standing relationship that had its ups and downs until we got to Moon Eyes. And I think originally the City at War story, had it been you know made a reality, would have probably fixed what happened in Moon Eyes. We're not really sure. And then you have the fact that Raphael met and married someone very similar in you know species to to Ninjara called Ms called Ms Cal, and it's like again they were able to dive deep, and I mean deep, into a relationship that normally the cartoon wouldn't. I mean the cartoon, the original 87 to 96 cartoon did tease having Raphael with a love interest and that was Mona Lisa. And yes, I will give the Nickelodeon series credit, the CGI one, that they were able to kind of capitalize on that with their interpretation of Mona Lisa. But, you know, still it's like, you know, it wasn't as much as let's say the comic had done with Raphael and Ninjara um, before that. And even when IDW got the license to to the book, they gave Raphael another love interest in Aeroplex. Now, I don't know the status of Aeroplex right now. I'm assuming she'll be back somehow between or after the Armageddon game, game if you will. We'll have to see uh, whether or not that happens, but... You know, yeah, they gave him Aeroplex. Heck, they gave Raphael, I mean, not Raphael, but Michelangelo a love interest. You know, for, for a brief period. The thing is, comic books are more, when it comes to romance, have more leeway and more free range to do what they want when it comes to romance. Not entirely, depending on who the licensee, or the licensor, I should say, is, but they have a little bit more leeway, a little bit more free will. And that's what's amazing and to me about reading a comic book interpretation of a, an established franchise and its characters. Knowing that if romance is involved, you don't have to worry about it being a quick one-off or two-off or whatever. You know, if you're into it, you can keep paying attention to it for as long as you want. And that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing, in my opinion. But, be that as it may, be that as it may, you know, even, you know, Boom Studios, going back to them, you know, I talked about how, you know, like with the Power Rangers, you know, I talked about this in one previous, I think I talked about in the previous audio, maybe, I'm not really sure. But, 
the Power Rangers, you know, ties it ties into what I said earlier about how comics, depending on the franchise, could be a lot more violent, a lot more mature, you know, with the characters. Have them say, you know, certain, you know, words, you know, when they, you know, speak at times. Power Rangers is one of those examples. But when it comes to romance, well, you know, Boom Studios cannot be left out. Because when Boom Studios, for a brief period, was working with Disney, and Ian Brill wrote the eight-part Rescue Ranger uh, series, you know, comeback series, one of the things that he did was put Dale and Foxglove together. He brought back Foxglove mainly to, you know, basically back up the fact, you know, back up the fact in a letters page in one of the uh, final issues, whether it was part, whether it was issue four or eight, to basically back up the fact that the reason she was here, the reason they brought in her father, Inglewood, you know, for a brief period, is to establish the fact, as they say in that letters page, her and Dale are on and off, if not on as boyfriend and girlfriend. Basically, they have a romance going. And even though good times, bad times at the end kind of left it up to your imagination of whether or not they got together, the comic basically flat out said, an official Disney comic, you know, courtesy of Boom Studios, flat out said, yes, they are an item. They are. And to me, the way they displayed, you know, their affection for each other felt very real. Felt like a romance. It was like, yeah, it's existing, but it's gotta, It's kind of like the romance that gets put on hold sometimes because of who of what Dale is about, who Dale, you know, is essentially. But in a way, the comic, mostly during the second half of it, the second run. You know, even towards, even somewhat in the first run, if you will, like in, like the second half of the first four issues, and but and mostly, I should say, in the full half, full second half, if you will, it was mostly a Dale and Fox love story, mostly a Dale story, but Fox love included, which didn't have to be done. Yes, you had gadget story in there with Gidget. Or glitch, I should say. You had a story in there with glitch, but if you take that to the, you take that and put it to the side, it was mostly a Dale story, and it began in the early issues of the first half of this eight-part limited series. And then as we it grew, of course, we started to see that it wasn't just a Dale, ser- Dale a Dale story, or even a gadget story by association. But from a romance standpoint, it was a Dale and Foxglove story. And like I said, the way they were portrayed in the overall you know, eight-part series really felt genuine and real. And again, Ian Brill and his team did not have to go that far, but that's what comics allow you to do. Unlike with shows, where they give you a little bit of an idea, a taste of what could be, and leave it to your imagination, the comic went further. It really did. And, again, when it comes to romances, comics can do things that the shows couldn't. 
for example, when Disney had the Disney Adventures mini uh, magazine with the mini comics in there, one of them was a bonkers story called Nose on the Run. And all bonkers had to do when he tried to play cool and everything, you know, is be himself and ask Fondir out with him to the policeman's ball and she accepted. And what's crazy about that is not only does that build on that relationship outside of the cartoon, which gave us a taste here and there, mostly with the shorts, but somewhat in the main series, you know, what that did is it basically built upon it by incorporating her into basically the side of bonkers that we normally wouldn't see her in until, you know, until basically the mid-season finale, the transitional episode, the... Uh, flashback, the episode Tune With No Name, or I think that's what it was called, uh, when she was in the flashback, and the beginning. But the comic, where he basically asked her out and she accepts, that's built upon, that's a romance that, you know, they were building upon. They didn't have to do that. They didn't have to incorporate Fawn to be his date. They could have had him say, you know what, I'm just going to go and enjoy the party with Fall Apart. That's it. Go, go stag. But they had him ask Fawn and she accepted the point being, comics, no matter whether or not they're part of a magazine, no matter whether or not they are, you know, part of an official publication, the comics, especially if they're based on a, you know, franchise license, they are allowed to go as far in romance than I think anybody can give them credit for. And that has to be respected. It has to be. It has to be respected no matter what. But what do you guys think? What are your thoughts on some of the examples I gave here? Give me your thoughts in the comment section as well as in the live chat. Don't forget to like the video. Support me over at Venmo at Brian-Walmart-2 and Cash App at BWRosas98, guys. I could really use your help right now financially. Also, support me over at Vimo at BWRosas for content you can't get here on YouTube. Also, support me at DeviantArt.com, says BVW1979. Also, support me at BWRosas Discussions, all your favorite audio podcast locations except for Pandora, where you will get an audio podcast of this. And check out the Teespring store for merchandise you can't get anywhere else. All of these will be, the Teespring store mainly will be here at the end of the video in the upper left-hand corner. Click on that to see what merchandise you can, you know, sink your, te- sink your teeth into for the upcoming spring and later winter months of this year, of the beginning of this year. But guys, let me know what your thoughts are overall. Comment below, like I said, live chat. And until then, I'm out.